Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. A very good evening to all and welcome to tonight's installment of Beyond Governance. As always, it's my pleasure to be in your company on this cold Tuesday evening here in Johannesburg. Uh, despite the cold weather, though, we continue to elevate conversations which I consider in the best interest of the country. At the heart of our conversation is democracy, which in my view should not lose sight of what I refer to as a bullseye. What am I referring to here? I'm talking about unemployment. I'm talking about poverty. I'm talking about inequality. Government in power, um, government is in power rather to oversee the design and implementation of policies and programs which address these issues that I've mentioned earlier. Mind you, these issues are complex and complicated. Therefore, we need leadership that is ethical, diligent and focused on meritocracy as an opinion philosophy. You might ask the question, where are we on these policies or where are we on these issues that I've just referred to? But anyway, before I delve into uh, topical issues tonight, let me thank Simon and his crew for a job well done. In the same vein, allow me to thank uh, my crew, Vusima Singa and Kabisa Ngube. Thank you very much for putting the show together. Let's hope we'll cruise uh, beautifully as we normally do. As a norm, the first part of the show is spent on reflecting on critical issues facing the country. To this end, I would like to weigh in on, on the COVID-19 as it's ravaging the country, the Jacobs Court case, and lastly, the capacity of the National Prosecuting Authority. Anyway, on the interesting side of things, I took the vaccination today, and I'm glad I did, as this will not only save my life, but those that I love. But in the same vein, I want us to continue to adhere to non-pharmaceutical measures, which speaks to sanitization, social distancing, and washing our hands regularly. But I thought this message was loud and clear. However, when you look at what happened over the weekend at, at Nkangla, one could say it was irresponsible, to say the least. You know, one would have expected to see leaders reinforcing the same message about COVID-19 regulation. But that message, from the scenes that you've seen, the image that you've seen or observed, that message was not forthcoming. People were on stage without masks, chanting, and obviously exercising their democratic rights, which they ought to do. But in the manner in which it was done, it was clearly in violation. And the same people with queuing on, on in hospitals for beds that are not available, for beds that are not available, for vaccines that is not, not that not is, for the vaccine that is not allowed uh, universally as it were. I think it is important that we take responsibility as a people. In some instances, we've got control and we know exactly what to do. And yet we, we continue to pretend as if we are not in a know-how. Be, be that as may, it's something that we really need to take responsibility on, in my view. While we're still on Nkanda, I must congratulate the police for, for the, for, congratulate the police for managing the situation professionally and with diligence. I suppose we have learned something as a country from Mike Morikana. The encounter situation was volatile. We have seen guns. We have seen all sorts of ammunitions. And the police were very diligent in, in, in managing that particular situation. Although we, we, we applaud police for managing this situation in the manner they did it, it is important that we always elevate the law. And judging by what prevailed 
over the weekend. The law did not take its course. Obviously, one is mindful of the complexity of the problem. But understanding the complexity of the problem does not mean we, ne- we, 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 we do not have to be consistent in applying the law. In this country, we know there's been so many precedents that has been set. And the failure for applying the law consistently will give other people the same reason not to follow the law. That you had failed, the police failed to act in Kandla. And therefore, you cannot be acting in another environment. So these kinds of inconsistencies, that brings the entire security forces into disrepute. It is important that the law is, is uh, the law appears to be applied accurate, um, consistently across the board, irrespective of who you are, or where you are at. For that, that's how to build the confidence that we all need. While we're still on the Kandla issue, I mean, I was quite disturbed by seeing or noting the, the, the report suggesting that the, the, the police minister, Peggy Tkele, and the National Commissioner have told the acting, you know, uh, Judge Zondo that they will not be acting on orders to arrest Jacob Zuma until his legal battles or challenges of 15-month jail term for contempt are finalized. It doesn't make sense to me at all. It seems as if we have, how we interpret laws in this country, we ask, there are just two wide interpretations of the law. And we don't seem to understand or have a common approach in terms of which institution of the law take precedent. In my mind or in my view, the Supreme Court of the, the Supreme Court made a determination which needs to be followed. If Peggy Taylor and the National uh, Commissioner would not be acting or executing the directives of the Constitutional Court, surely they should be held in contempt as well. What does that mean in terms of constitutional crisis? Surely, if the constitutional court has made the determination, it is incumbent upon whoever, including the minister of police, irrespective of whether he's, a, he's, he's loyal to, um, to the former president or otherwise. Bottom line is that he needs to execute that particular order. For him, I don't know who, I don't know how people have been advised, and surely there, there's huge um, discrepancy in terms of which which interpretation of the law should take precedent. Clearly, based on what I've read and based on what people have seen, it is there's no doubt in my mind that the constitutional court ruling has to take precedent. Of which, of which at this point, it hands in a balance. We hear the president will be given yet another opportunity, you know, to make you know to make his business case which by the way he had looked he has been looking forward for his day in court he's asked for it and guess what it is here in as much as we have to appreciate and respect his right but also that we need to balance his right with obligation towards the same constitution that he supposedly orchestrated or defended it can't be that the same constitution that he defended by way of, of by way of uh, becoming one of the president post post apartheid, is the same president that undermines the very same constitution that he claims to be uh, protecting. I'm sure this will make a very interesting uh, constitutional uh, you know saga 
I'm sure legal minds are grappling, are making all sorts of arguments, so on and so forth. But I want to, you know, separate, um, you know, verbal gymnastic from practical application of the law and the extent to which law has to take precedent in the best interest of the country. I think that's the bull's eye. I'm mindful that I'm not a constitutional lawyer, no expert. But for this country to be perceived as sound democracy, wherein the rule of law is not only uh, on paper, but is, is perceived to be applied, we run the risk of becoming a banana republic. That's my submission. What do you think? It'll be interesting to hear what your thoughts are. Anyway, as we proceed on the issue that I've made, that I've raised earlier, um, and I was quite disheartened to hear that the NPA, um, at the, uh, you know, Scopa presentation today, that there's no capacity. They do not have senior prosecutors to oversee the same cases which Zondo Commission is there to present to them. Surely there's something wrong with the picture. One would have imagined that given the fact that Zondo is approaching close to a billion rands of investment, the returns have been nil so far, at least in the public eye, around senior, you know, or cases of magnitude or cases that are serious that have been brought in. So it, it doesn't make sense for us to hear uh, that the NPA does not have capacity, particularly around the Special Investigation Unit. Scholars of public policy will tell you there's a need to sequence policy. When you sequence in policies, one is that you, we can almost anticipate the outcome of the Zona Commission. Based on our anticipation, you, you actively bring about, you know, uh, measures that would make sure that there's an overlap between the, the investigation or the testimonies and the prosecution. At this rate, we are creating, um, what in Mamana, we're creating a scapegoat. You know, we, we're going to get to a point where the NPA will abdicate responsibilities or the pace, rather, the pace of prosecution by the NPA will be so slow and we lose face. It can be. I, I would imagine that the president has to look at these issues in a much more deeper way by ensuring that NPA has sufficient capacity so that we don't have excuses, at least on the side of NPA, that why we have spent close to billion rand to investigate and there's nothing that's forthcoming. That's something that we need to be very wary about as, as a country. Anyway, as I'm wrapping up on this particular issue, um, I mean, I, I've already alluded to, to the Jacob Zuma's uh, uh, quest to stay out of court. My goodness. What do you make of this? Surely this amounts to constitutional crisis. I don't know what you think. But if the constitutional court has made a determination, it needs to be followed. I don't know, but I, 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 it's quite, it's quite important and imperative that we are seen to be a serious democracy and we cannot be seen to as a serious democracy. And as much as people can make noise and, you know, express their views, go to the street, do what is constitutionally enshrined or promoted, but ultimately when this, when the Supreme Court has sat down, made a determination on the weariness of the case and made a judgment which serves the interests of uh, the republic, surely that needs to take uh, uh, a precedent. 
Anyway, what are your thoughts? I would like to hear from you. Our SMS line is 34519. The telegram is 061-895-1019. And of course, I do take your emails at nimrod.hi.co.za. As we proceed on a much more progressive front, I'm joined online by Terence Wickham, who is the founder and the CEO of Africa Enterprise Investment Agency. Um, you know, Terence and I would have a, a an engagement on some of the pioneering investment opportunities or investment um, yeah, opportunities that exist in the country and the extent to which his entity is is trying to, um, you know, plug in and make a difference. Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to welcome Terence. Uh, Terence, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Nimrod, and good evening to the listeners. Most indeed. Welcome, my good sir. Uh, it's nice to, I'm quite happy to hear you, to hear your voice once again after our encounter, uh, earlier during the week, you know, it's a small world. And now we are on air to discuss the very issue that you and I talked about at some point. But perhaps maybe for the purpose of the listeners, uh, Terence, could you give us a sense of what is the Africa Enterprise Partners? And, yes. and what does it seem, what does it, you know, uh, 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 claim to do or want to do? Good. Um, well, thank you for that, that nice introduction. So, so Africa Enterprise Partners is um, uh, really just being established in the past few months, the last four or five months. And we've uh, established ourselves really as, a, as an investment agency with a very specific purpose in mind. So um, I think it's you, you maybe useful to give you a little bit of a background um, I've been, uh, you know, I've run a, um, a business consultancy over the last uh, 10 or so years. Um, and uh, it was always interesting to me that, you know, working on certain projects, the, um, uh, limiting factor always is the financing of that, of those projects. And that's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do for, you know, many, um, companies as they try and establish themselves. Um, it, Coincidentally happened that I met uh, through a very good colleague of mine, a company that is based um, out of Bermuda of all places, a very, very interesting location. Um, and we began a conversation that led us to where we are today. Um, the, the company is uh, called Stronghold Limited and uh, Bermuda for the sake of people who might not know is one of the uh, leading centers for the, uh, for reinsurance worldwide and that's really been predicated on the basis that they established the necessary regulatory environment to accommodate that industry. And then some time back, they um, introduced legislation in Bermuda in order to accommodate the issuance of uh, corporate bonds. Um, and what was interesting about that is they fused or synthesized uh, classic reinsurance products with the uh, with, with aspects of the issuance of, of uh, financing bonds and brought those two things together within the construct of a, a regulatory environment that was conducive to doing it. And the upshot of it is that it, it creates an, a really interesting instrument that has the ability um, to provide very high levels of, of investment security for the asset management community who are obviously interested in ensuring that money that they deploy is uh, properly safeguarded, um, but at the same time creating the opportunity for a reasonable yield to be earned on that investment. Um, and, and that's really a, a you know, specific function um, of, of the way the instrument is constructed. 
So what was really important for us here, and we, you know, we, as we've been going down this path over the last few years, um, was the ability to, to issue bonds um, to the investment community here, but to do it con- uh, denominated in RAND, not, not in a foreign currency. And you'll appreciate that um, if you financing a business over a long-term period and you've, t- you know, you're using capital that's denominated in dollars or euros, that then carries a significant currency risk. So the ability to zero that currency risk out and to denominate the instrument in rands was an important step forward and really led us to the decision to implement um, Africa Enterprise Partners uh, with the stronghold instrument at its core. And so that's really, uh, Nimrod, what we've been uh, focusing on bringing to market. And we're really just poised to begin, I think, some quite interesting um, uh, um, investments. We're looking at several investments that I think are pretty interesting. And I think we'll have, uh, we hope, we'll have quite a significant economic impact in the country at a time that we really need it. Thank you very much for that update, um, Terence. Quite interesting um, uh, insight that you have shared with us um, at this point in time. But perhaps maybe before we proceed, I mean, firstly, uh, you know, the the initiative is obviously quite new. You must have done some kind of diligence in the South African market. What sort of evidence, uh, based on your where you are, which has given you indication that? The, the African enterprise partners uh, would plug into some of the gaps that exist in the South African market, financial financial markets. Sure. So, uh, yeah, we did extensive due diligence to understand um, both the application of the instrument within the context of the South African market and then also looking at the market itself. So, it, you know, I think it would be common cause most people would agree that you know, the country, if you look at it holistically, is well-resourced. I mean, we've got significant um, capital aggregation in the country. Um, but at the same time, we've got, you know, enormous socioeconomic needs that are unmet and uh, are crying out for investment to make those uh, happen. And the, the problem really boils down to one of risk. And so the, there's this disconnect between capital that can actually make a difference um, and the application of that capital because it's attenuated by the risk that intervenes. Um, and that risk presents, I think, in two ways. It presents economically. Um, in other words, you know, the um, uh, uh, perceived lack of an ability of that, that capital to earn a, a, a decent yield. Um, and, and also just legal risk. In other words, you know, if something happens uh, um, and, and, uh, and things don't turn out like they planned, you know what what you know what happens to the uh, investment funds, and typically those are institutional funds. So you know there's obviously a great deal of um, fiduciary responsibility on the part of the investment managers to make sure that the investment that those funds are directed into is safe and secure. And I think that's what the stronghold instrument um, that that AEP is marketing, I think, has a, a unique ability to do. So the way that it's, it's uh, constructed, and I don't want to get you know overly technical, but um, it's underpinned by um, a, a well-structured collateralized um, investment that goes into uh, typically tier one assets um, in sufficient quantity that the bond buyer over 
the nominal period of that bond has security that they're going to get their money back plus a reasonable yield on on what they've deployed, the capital that's been deployed. But at the same time, they have the opportunity of seeing an enhanced yield come back from the um, in, the investee entity. In other words, the um, project or the company that's uh, the recipient of, of um, the, the proceeds of the bond or partially of the proceeds of the bond. So they've kind of bifurcated of if I'm making sense, um, and some goes into a collateralized reserve, other part of the bond proceeds go into the active um, performance asset, as we call it, um, and and that performance asset then provides a yield back to to the to the bond buyer or the provider of the capital to begin with. So <clears throat> the ability to defease that risk, to negate the risk, and uh, ensure that it's um, structured in such a way that it's bankruptcy-proof is a very powerful uh, validation or, um, you know, security blanket for for the, the provider of the capital to make sure that their uh, pension pension money or, um, you know, other pools of capital are, are properly protected and they can sleep safe, securely at night knowing that that investment's not at risk, but it has a good good prospect of earning a decent yield, which is also important, particularly for pension funds, you know, where you want to see growth for, for your, your pensioners in the future. So I think we tick all of those boxes. And um, the, the, what's really important about that is it allows us access to the larger pool of investment, which is um, the, to the fixed income um, investment uh, streams that are in ordinarily those just go straight into something like U.S. Treasury bonds, um, and only a small fraction of the investable uh, funds that go into uh, risk investment. So investments on the stock exchange or property investments or impact investing, um, and and the, but the vast bulk actually goes into the more secure um, type of investment. And I think that this instrument helps us to have access to that larger slice of the capital pie, so, so to speak. And that's important because it allows us to capacitate a lot of the investment that's so sorely needed in the country right now. No, thanks for that update. But, you know, we, we are, we're going to go back to the, to, to the break now. But before you go to the break, um, you raised three pertinent issues. One is the regulatory environment. I just want you to give me a sense of what are the, in very, you know, a regulatory environment which you think, um, you know, the, the, the enterprise, uh, um, has managed to navigate because that tends to be a big uh, issue. The other one is the risk mitigation. You've just in- indicated that there's the investees are likely to have a, a bigger yield purely because the, the, you know, the investment is almost like soundproof. So those are two big issues that anybody uh, would want to get a sense from, um, in terms of, you know, the, in terms of where African Enterprise Partner sees itself, uh, because these are, are in any case, uh, biggest uh, issues that that you have raised. Perhaps maybe it's time to take a break. Uh, once you come back from uh, paying our bills, we'll revert back to these issues. Beyond Governance: Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus Ninety Four Research. The Science of Decision Making. 
Welcome back. It is now 28 minutes to 7. If you've just joined us, I'm having a conversation with Terence uh, Wickham, who is the executive at uh, African Enterprise Partners Agency. This is a new baby in the market that promises to have a significant impact in the economy that is ailing, uh, as we all know. Before we enter the break, um, I wanted our Terence just to give us a sense of the regulatory environment, which uh, he had pointed out just before that, uh, because one would want to know that the extent to which the new baby will be will be able to navigate the regulatory environment. That's number one. Number two, I wanted him to give us a sense of the risk mitigation because he's painting a very interesting picture about the extent to which the the investments made by any investee, particularly large corporation, I would imagine, uh, is likely to be full is likely to be uh, uh, foolproof, so to speak. Perhaps maybe let me just give uh, Terence an opportunity just to reflect on that. But maybe before that, Terence, one thing that perhaps maybe it's, is important uh, for us to reflect on, because I don't think the listeners got a, got a sense of what your target market is. Because earlier on when we started the show, you, you spoke about the, the financing or lack of fundings of big projects, which automatically means you have different target markets. So perhaps maybe before you get to the regulatory environment, risk mitigation that you talked about, give us a sense of your, your target markets. Who do you like, who, who would like to, you know, participate in, in your scheme, so to speak? Sure. Number um, so thanks once again. It's, um, you know, it's quite broad. Uh, the, we, you know, the way that we've thought about the business is we've broken it up into what we call investment themes. And uh, we've approached this from a sort of a thematic point of view. So to give you an example, we have um, the, one of the themes are, are social investments. And uh, I can give you maybe an example of one of the projects that we're busy contemplating um, allocating uh, funding to. And that would effect, uh, you know, it would effectively be a, a student bank. Now, you know, we haven't trademarked that name yet. I mean, it's still stuff that we're, we're working on. But the idea really is to fund um, the tertiary education of, of students that want to do postgraduate uh, work. You know, these um, um, students really suffer because they they land up, you know, completing their undergraduate they, uh, degree. Um, and then, you know, for them to continue to do um, a master's or a PhD, oftentimes for economic reasons, they have to do that. Um, part-time, and that really mitigates against success. So what we'd like to see there is them taking on and, and being properly funded to uh, do that postgraduate work uh, um, full-time, um, and, and then uh, to be able to uh, repay that funding over a much longer period than the sort of typical student loan provides for. So, you know, if, if you think about it, it's a bit like a mortgage on a house. You know, your career is as important as the property that you live in. And so we think that you should have the ability to earn that PhD comfortably and then to be able to repay it across the course of your career. So that would be a, a project that would fit within that social investment theme, um, just to, to, to give you an idea. Uh, we're also busy with a project that is looking at um, automating the inventory control across the entire healthcare system. Um, and the idea is to unlock uh, working capital that's tied up in healthcare systems to a very significant extent. And if you think about that from a public sector perspective, 
it becomes really important because it's a way of leveraging the budget that uh, our provincial health departments struggle with. So you know, we, can, we can create some headroom by uh, just by smart application of, of investment. Um, and there, there's several other uh, uh, thematic um, uh, areas I've mentioned. We've got six of them. I mean, we've got hospitality and leisure. We think that's an important area to invest in, particularly under these COVID circumstances. Um, and on the understanding, the optimistic understanding of the market will then due course come back. And we've got a wonderful country and we need to market it and create some opportunities for uh, visitors to come and enjoy um, our wonderful sights and sounds here. You know, you've got pro- property and construction, um, public transport is a very big area for us. We've got some significant work going on in that particular space um, that I think will help capacitate and um, significantly improve the public transport um, environment. And we're working with some, I, I won't mention names now, but some very important strategic partners in that space. Um, and then, of course, manufacturing is a very important uh, area. That, so we're actively looking at some uh, groundbreaking investments there that I think will be game changers in of their own right. And, and lastly, we're looking at the government, the, the government sector, both in the SOE space um, as well as at local, in particular at local governments. And we're working again in partnership there. Um, you know, um, that's really been uh, facilitated by our membership of the Black Business Council, of which we members, um, in, in order to try and plug some really important gaps. So you can see it's a pretty broad range of um, areas that we have an engagement in. And, you know, uh, our part, the partners in the, in the business have got experience across that spectrum and bring quite a lot of experience and knowledge to the table in trying to solve some of these problems. But, but hopefully that gives you a sense of the kind of investment targets that we have in mind and where we think we can play a meaningful role together with uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the um, holders or the managers of, of, of capital in the country and linking uh, all of that together. And I, I suppose that kind of brings me to the point of explaining how we see our role as, as AEP. And I like to think of us like the fly half in a game of rugby. You know, our job is to receive the ball and to distribute the ball. It's not to um, own the ball. That's not our role. Our role is to move it along and let the necessary um, parts of the investment uh, um, environment do the work that they're there to do. So, uh, you know, the, obviously uh, the, 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 the asset managers, the, the providers of capital, the bond buyers, um, you know, manage that the application of capital in the market. Um, and then we have the Stronghold uh, company that I spoke about earlier that uh, are the bond issuer. And their job is to, is to hold the paper and ensure that that bond is responsibly managed and delivers the returns that it promises to do. And our job is to link the two together and also to direct where we apply that investment. So, you know, we have a coordination role, I suppose, within the broader scheme of things. Um, and I, and I, that kind of segues nicely then, I think, into the regulatory environment that you asked about. <laughs> yeah, so our, our role is, you know, obviously to, um, you know, meet all of the compliance standards that are expected of a, you know, a, a participant in the financial services and advisory space in the country. And, you know, that's we're working to um, accommodate 
all of that. I think more importantly, the, from a regulatory point of view, the instrument itself that we're using as the vehicle to deliver what we you know, hope to bring to market is, is quite important. So that instrument is an international instrument. It's issued out of Bermuda, which is a highly regarded financial services center um, that in turn is extraordinarily well regulated. But um, the instrument uh, is um, compliant to Basel III standards, which are, as you will be aware, are the uh, banking regulations that, are, that, that pertain internationally to all banking businesses. Um, and simultaneously meet Solvency II, which are the corresponding insurance regulations um, that, that are applicable. Um, it obviously meets or is compliant with the, uh, all the, the accounting um, and financial instrument regu- regulations that apply. So IFRS, um, it's approved by the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States. It meets the European standards. So there's a whole raft of regulatory um, and oversight that the instrument itself um, uh, functions un- under. Um, and then the, the, the structure of the instrument in of itself is um, designed to be very secure, and there's a lot of features there. You know, we'd spend a long time talking about them, but uh, these are important technical attributes that the instrument has um, that any asset manager that's looking to buy a bond from Stronghold for the purposes that I've described would really be very uh, interested in understanding the detail and, and you know and so as we begin those dialogues shortly, I think that we'll be able to you know give a lot of information at a, at a technical level to the relevant people that need them to uh, uh, know about those about those matters. I don't want to bore your listeners with all of their technicality this evening. No, no, that's fine. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, let me just go back to you know the theme. Some of the themes that you mentioned, which uh, you know the the uh, the entity Africa Enterprise Partners uh, is looking to invest in, which are quite interesting. Uh, the one around social investments. Um, I think there's a huge market uh, in the South African setup, particularly when you're looking at the missing middle. You know, in a South African environment, we have a public sector. And we have, you know, uh, institutions that are of public nature, but also have private universities. And majority of people who do not qualify for state funding or state state uh, subsidies um, are, are so-called missing, uh, you know, uh, missing middle. They obviously would need this kind of a facility, which I think it's it's very useful to hear. But also, it's also quite interesting to see how broad. Um, how broad some of your interventions would, would, you know, how broad your, inter- your interventions um, are. I mean, SOEs, which is a very interesting space, particularly given the malfeasance that you're seeing. And um, <laughs> I can only say I, I, I draw the appetite. And of course, there, there, there are instances where some of the SOEs are beginning to, to tend, you know, to tend. But again, what sort of because you, you know the SOE's environment at this point in time is completely, or perhaps the majority of them suffer from you know uh, governance malfeasance, yeah. reporting the accountability is lacking, and there's a whole lot of, of fruitless and wasteful expenditure. How do you therefore safeguard 
the investment working in that particular space? What sort of instruments are you going to employ to ensure that investor, investors' money will not be lost, particularly when you see and have heard how the rule of law one and, and the typical governance protocols being, 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 being not applied at the, at the SOE level. It will be quite interesting just to see how, you know, Africa, uh, uh how, how Africa enterprise, uh, partners navigate those particular turbulence waters. Well, that's a more, that's a multifaceted question. There are a lot, there are a lot of things to cover in that, in that answer. So I think I'd say to begin with, um, Africa Enterprise Partners, AEP, is not a silver bullet. Um, and nor are we government. You know, we, we, that's, you know, that's not our wheelhouse. Uh, government must take responsibility for the companies that it owns and controls and needs to manage them better. I mean, this is clear. However, we can make some targeted interventions that I think will act like a flywheel and help to drive um, the kind of positive movement that we're seeing, the green shoots that we're beginning to see in some spaces. And I can give you maybe an example of that. So one of the areas that we think we can help in is looking at balance sheet remediation at local government level. Now, you know, that, that that's important because, uh, you know, putting municipalities back on their feet financially and helping them to do that, but doing it in a way that's um, secure and well-considered, I think is very important. Um, so, so, you know, if that happens, it means that those municipalities will be in a position to begin to repay some of the debt that they owe to the likes of Eskom and the water boards and the other utility providers, bulk providers. And that, that in turn has a knock-on effect. So if you could remediate a chunk of the debt that the municipalities have to Eskom, it helps Eskom considerably, but it helps the municipalities. It puts them into a far better position to provide services to their communities, and, and hopefully we can avert some of these stories that have been making front-page news recently, the situation that occurred in Lichtenberg with uh, Clover, uh, making a decision to abandon a 1.5 billion rand asset because they just can't live with the service provision. So hopefully we can begin to address some of those aspects. But I think you can't, you know, close that discussion without looking at the instrument itself. And the structure of the instrument um, is what is designed to give a peace of mind to the providers, the ultimate provider of capital, the bond buyer, the uh, asset manager sitting in the background. And irrespective of the performance of the investment itself, the bond and the uh, dependability of that bond is secured separately um, due to the structuring that we have on this uh, rather unique instrument. So that provides should provide the necessary peace of mind. Um, of course, that doesn't exclude um, you know some you know, intelligent application of that those investments and doing proper due diligence and holding people um, you know contractually and morally accountable for the investments that we ultimately. Um, Direct, and I, 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 you know, I want to be clear about that. Um, the role of AEP is not to make the investment. The role of AEP is to direct the investment, and that's part of the important distinction to bear in mind. Great stuff. So, you, you basically, your unique selling proposition is to become a conduit 
uh, to facilitate the linkages between the, 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 the entities that requires financial capital by also making sure that the, those kind of investments that you are making or about to make are, are relatively secured based on the instruments that you are referring to. Am I, am I understanding you correctly? You've got it 100%. You hit, it on the, you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely good to hear. Uh, but as we proceed, um, and as we proceed, Terence, I, I think there's a huge opportunity. I'm not sure what has been the, the appetite from the authority point of view on this particular initiative. What has been the appetite from government, particularly with, with respect to treasury? Uh, because treasury would obviously navigate or, or oversee the compliance of this kind of institution. What has been the appetite on the side of treasury? Um, and, and to what extent do you think this particular initiative, uh, would, would, would be foregrounded a lot quicker? given the fact that the economy is in a dire strait. We are in ICU at this point in time. Yeah, so, so those are, good, again, good questions. So, you know, so we, we began this journey with this, uh, the potential introduction of this instrument into the market maybe two years ago. And uh, at the time, we had, um, we had discussions with a whole array of different players, but, but National Treasury was amongst them. And the uh, receptivity was very, was very good. Um, particularly when we began to look at particular applications and we, uh, we discussed the range of those applications with them. Um, and, and we were, you know, at the time we were poised to, to conduct, uh, or National Treasury were poised to conduct a full due diligence on the instrument, which I think is important. Um, and, and it just coincided with the change of administration, which then, uh, delayed matters somewhat. And, and then there were some, uh, changes in the instrument itself, the ability to configure it in RAND was, an imp- as I mentioned, was an important determinant of going forward. So, you know, we, we really need to redo some of that work that we had initially done, um, to be frank. Um, but we've, we've had engagement with, uh, very senior representatives from government, um, at, you know, across multiple, um, uh, layer or, uh, silos in government. And, and that all of them, without fail, have been extraordinarily encouraging. So I think to the point that you make, uh, the economy is in is in a critical state right now, and it's um, you know we really do need to make some interventions that will have um, uh, you know a significant impact on where things are going. And I, you know, we're not a silver bullet, as I mentioned. We're not uh, a, the only solution in town. Um, you know, we, we one of an array of different interventions that I think are applicable, um, but an important one. And uh, I like to always think of it like, you know, every pot has its lid. And so, you know, we are a solution to a particular set of investment needs. And, you know, it's about matching, you know, where we can play a meaningful and a positive role um, and recognizing where we can't. And then, you know, making sure that we focus on those areas where we can actually make a difference. Um, but, but, you know, in broad context, in, in, in broad response to your question, you know, we've had very good response from very senior government um, officials and, uh, and po- political uh, entities as well. So, you know, it's been, it's been well received, I think, is the, is the good news that people want to, want to hear. You know, I'm glad at some point you made mention of your partnership with the Black uh, Black uh, Black Management Forum. Uh, 
uh, uh, no, black, uh, um, yeah, black, black ears. Yeah. Well, I, at some point I had a conversation with the, with, uh, uh, the CEO and he made a very interesting observation that in this country, uh, we are fond of, or we are known for putting together very smart documents, which on paper would address every single problem that we're experiencing. However, we are failing to translate those policy position into reality purely because we don't seem to have our eyes on the mark. And I thought it was quite um, astonishing. It was quite mind-boggling. And, and, and I think it also opened my mind just to hear how, you know, the, the, the Black Management Council reviews some of these issues. And Coming back to the issue around leveraging, it will be quite useful to see how the president, because the president has been spearheading a number of, of resource mobilization internationally. And, and this particular outfit would very much well make a huge difference by, by plugging in some of the initiative which the president has spoken about. I mean, construction is a big part of that, you know. Hospitality is another big part of it. So there's a lot of, of uh, cross-pollination possibilities that would address major economic issues that are confronted the country. And it will be interesting just to see, just beyond a, a warm reception, but, you know, getting to a point where some of these issues have been absent. We, we have gone past instances where we are talking and having coffee and, and, and chat about, you know, whether, you know, but, but really get into delivery and, and which is something that personally South Africans have, have, have lost patience or have no patience for. Um, I hope, uh, this particular initiative, they, they will be a speed or it will be addressed with the same speed, uh, which is, which it requires or it deserves for the countries in ICU. This is true. So, you know, I don't think I would be, um, uh, disclosing anything out of the ordinary if, if I, you know, mentioned to you that the president's well aware of, of the initiative that we have. Um, and there are, uh, obviously conversations that are ongoing c- constantly. Um, so the, I mean, there is appreciation at the highest level, but, you know, I don't think that that should derogate from the fact that, you know, I think South Africans are, we, we are really very good at generating superb policy positions and uh, writing, you know, putting a lot of stuff down on paper that then lives on a shelf. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, AEP really is about action, action, action. You know, our job is to is to intermediate and to take, um, you know, obviously well-founded, well-documented and well-considered uh, in, you know, approaches and to turn them into reality. And that's a job that I think we're very well suited to being able to do. So hopefully we can get the stars to align. And we uh, think that it's a fair bet to say that we have got the, you know, you know, the appropriate political support. Um, but, you know, it's going to, it, it remains to be seen that we have, uh, buy-in from the, um, the, the people that control the pools of capital in the country. And I think the instrument that we will be discussing with them allows us to give them comfort that the, the money that they're responsible for can be deployed for the broader benefit of society. And you know, uh, uh, as they say, a rising tide lifts all ships. 
And so investment in the um, uh, in, in South Africa Inc. is a very important uh, function at, at so many different levels. And uh, hopefully we can be uh, a conduit that will allow that to actually practically trans- you know, happen, to, to practically uh, become a reality. So, I mean, that's our objective. Um, we're hard at work. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, but, you know, so we address a broad array of different uh, socioeconomic and commercial uh, uh, and pure economic uh, challenges. Um, and I think we've got a tool that will help us to make an appreciable difference. And so let's see how that, how that evolves. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure a, a lot of uh, our listeners are quite keen to hear more about this particular initiative. Uh, perhaps maybe you could just give us um, your contact details, uh, your, I mean, any details that you may want us to convey to our listeners for pep- for those who may be interested in hearing more and more about this wonderful, and perhaps maybe even partnering with you on this particular initiative as we're wrapping up. Sure. So do you want me to share those with your producer or do you want me to give them over the air right now? No, you can give it over the air now, uh, Terence. Okay, good. So, so we will, um, we've had a slight technical delay, but we'll have a website up and running in, in a day or two. It should have already have gone live. Um, so that'll be, uh, Africa Investor or Africa Enterprise Partners, I've been dot com. Uh, so it's all one word, Africa Investor Partners dot com. Um, I'll give you my, um,